Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. KYW Original Podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Tom with some quick housekeeping. This is the last of the Episode 7 extras, the interviews and sound we got when we were reporting the story of Officer Sion, but we didn't end up using in the actual episode, mainly because the episode would have been two or three hours long. But we found some incredible stories that we still wanted to share with you somehow. We'll have some updates about Episodes 8 and 9 and when they're coming out soon. Keep your eyes on our Instagram and Twitter for the latest news at Gone Cold Philly. And our Facebook group is at facebook.com slash groups slash Gone Cold Philly. You can probably just search for Gone Cold Philly and find it as well. This episode was produced by Charlotte Reese. Thank you, Charlotte. Give her a follow on Twitter at CReese28. All right, here's the episode. KJ. What's up, Tom? All right, so... This is the last of the episode seven extras that we're putting out before eight. Yeah. And this is about Pete Kane. Um, both of us, as soon as we got out of the interview, knew that we wanted to do something else with the interview we had with Pete Kane. Weren't sure what that was. We went into this expecting one thing for Pete to tell us about Officer Sion being murdered in his neighborhood. And we ended up with an hour plus with like 77 minutes of the most bonkers stories I've ever heard from someone who spent his entire life in Philadelphia. And we didn't like even ask that many questions. It was just kind of, I think we asked, how'd you get into news? Yeah. Hey, good morning. Uh, this is a great day and a pleasure being here with you guys. Pete Kane. Mm-hmm. My name is Pete Kane. I am a photojournalist at uh, NBC 10. They hired me in 83 as a um, technician and I was the first one man band. You know, I did a shooting. I did it. You know, I mean, what I do now, what I've been doing for 30 some years. One thing you said in the beginning was that Pete is a legend. Legend uh, in Philadelphia, especially it. in journalism. Legend. Everybody knows Pete Kane. <laughs> Everybody. I like news. I mean, I like, you know, I like news. It keeps me awake. <laughs> especially working a midnight shift. So. <laughs> you worked the, right. You worked I the took midnight. it by choice three years ago. I want something different, and this is different. He grew up in North Philadelphia, and... Um, yeah, he wanted to be a cop, which is kind of shocking for that, you know, for what we know about civil rights in Philadelphia and police beatings and the community and the black community with police officers. And um, he tells the story about being a Boy Scout walking home from a meeting with his friends. You know, it's shocking. Uh, I remember one night we were coming to a Boy Scout meeting on um, 17th and Gerard. 
And me and my friend are walking up 18. It's like five or six of us. We're walking up 18th Street with our Boy Scout uniform on. Highway guys come through. And back then, they had the shotguns in the middle of the car. The highway guys come through with their leather on, their boots. And they pull us over, put us against the wall of Jesu Church. And I started smiling because I got my Boy Scout uniform. We're all in Boy Scout uniform. And the guy puts the shotgun up under my chin. Anything funny? I said, no, nothing's funny. I figured we're not gang war. We're in our Boy Scout uniform. So that was something that was dramatic for me as a young black male growing up in the city. But, you know, we knew what um, what's going on with the gang problem. But it was just that I just, you know, me and my buddy, that was something we always thought about. That you Remember the night we came home Boy Scout meeting and the highway guys pulled us over and you started smiling? Yeah, I remember. You know? How old were you? I was um, probably about 14 years old, 14, 15 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. I could be walking from somewhere from the movies or from um, playing basketball, and it was a gang war, a gang fight early that evening, and now the police officers are looking for gang members that may be carrying guns. So me and my friends, we coming back from St. Joe's Prep where we would play ball at night, and we're walking up the street all of a sudden, you know, the car pulls up, puts it against the wall, searches. I would say probably half a dozen times as a young kid growing up. Even with what happened to you as a 14-year-old in that Boy Scout uniform, you still wanted to be a cop. I saw the only way to change it was to be part of it. You know, um, and what sometimes makes me um, disappointed is I see a lot of um, cops like me, black males, that they don't um, look at. You have an opportunity to help these young black males out here. You know, don't talk down to them. Talk to them. See, and that's what my thing was because, you know, I, I was raised that you treat people where you want to be treated. And I just can't also imagine, like, the swarming of police in that area. And also, you know, with Sion, what they got was that they got the, sub, the suspect description as a black male, and that's a black neighborhood. And here you have cops swarming everywhere, probably thinking that they're going to be the ones that gets the murderer. I am sure that it was not a good time in that neighborhood they were probably terrified just generally as a neighborhood because they have somebody who shot a cop. Like, how brazen is that to shoot a police officer? But then also, you know, you don't know if you're going to be the one that's taken into custody and questioned. But that was not the only violence that was happening in, in Pete's life. Philly had a huge gang problem. I mean, it was something we grew up with. And um, yeah, it was hard not to... Um, I lost a lot of friends to getting in the gang. A lot of them killed because of the drugs that went on with the crack as crack came out and things like that. I probably lost about 25% of people I grew up with because of you know, the gang activity and the drugs going on in the neighborhood at that time. You know, so, I mean, and I, and a lot of the stories I do now are personal because it sometimes affects my family. You know, so like I said, I, you know, I, have, I have passion for people because of what I've been through. One of the things that um, I learned was how much the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King not only just affected individual people, but sort of rippled out and affected whole neighborhoods. Pete said his entire neighborhood changed after Dr. King was shot and killed. Uh, I live right at Gerard College, you know, right there, right there on this small street, Kabai Street, 19 Gerard. So Gerard College was the predominantly white school that was for um, white males only, Dr. King, Georgie Woods, 
all these people. We used to see them walking around when Dr. King would come to town. You see them marching around Gerard College to be able to get it to be integrated. So, I mean, I saw a lot of that as a small kid, not understanding what it was, because all I saw growing up were people like us. Let me go back. They integrated the schools back when I was in, like, middle school because I ended up going to down on Gerard Avenue. I can't think of the name of the school, but around 2nd Gerard, when they when they, they started segregating the schools. So I was part of that first, you know, when they um, when they started segregating. We were bused out of our community into these other areas to integrate the schools because of, you know, uh, and that's my first time, like, being in a classroom with people other than people like me. You know, and I, I mean, I had great mentors around me. My basketball coach, athletic director, Ben Franklin, my Boy Scout leader, um, ministers in my church. You know, so I, I had that because I didn't want to be like everyone else. I wanted to be able to have a future. And back then, being a young black man, it wasn't guaranteed, a young black boy, that you were going to have a future. I always wanted to be a police officer. That was my goal from 1968, and that was the day that Martin Luther King was killed because the next day I was going to be 13 years old. So on the eve of my 13th birthday, Dr. King was killed. And that's when the whole city went into, um, um, it was a disaster, the fires, the looting. And I said to myself, you know, I want to be able to do something to help the community and everything. The only um, other people, Caucasians, were the ones that ran the corner stores. You know, or or the the, the guys who were the uh, the milkman coming through, or the people selling the fish, or the vegetables. You know, everyone else in that community was they were black, and then when the riots happened in you know '68, um, all that changed. A lot of these stores that were, you know, that we depended on for our livelihood were gone. You know, we had to go outside of our area to do the shopping because all of the supermarkets, the um, variety stores. They were all gone. They were all burned down or all looted. I mean, I, I just remember, you know, uh, it was a nightmare. Like I said, I, was just, I just turned 13 years old when Dr. King was killed. And the whole country was in an uproar. Because there's a person that we all look for to help us be able to get the rights, the jobs, and to get things that everyone else had. At that time, you had to be 21 to join the police department. He was 17, I think, after high school. So his plan was to go to Westchester University. And he, so I grew up basically on campus at Westchester University and has a great uh, phys ed program. So his plan was just to like lift weights for a couple of years and get ready to become a cop. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't quite work out that way. I, uh, I ended up uh, staying a year and I left Westchester because I have four younger brothers that I wanted my mom was a single parent to help raise. But back in that time we had a big gang problem and my younger brothers were getting, you know, into their teens. And I left college after a year that June of 73. He picked up a job at a, at like a barbecue joint. On Cecil B. Moore and Sittenham street. And didn't last there very long. And one Sunday night I had switched with a guy and I took off and a guy was shot and killed in a restaurant at night. So I never went back to that job. I got my paycheck that Sunday and that was it. So I was, I was without a job for like four months. And I remember in November of 73, my cousin, uh, Cookie, she always looked after me and she calls and hey, you know, put in your Sunday best. You have a job interview tomorrow at Channel 10. Just so happened that the HR person there was a lady by the name of Ann Campbell. 
and my cousin Cookie was a beautician, and Anne was one of her clients in Winfield. So, you know, when she said, you know, hey, you know, my little cousin Pete looking for a job, this and that, Anne said, well, I got an opening in the mailroom. And that's how it all got started. If there is a flaw that Pete Kane has, I don't know what it is. Like, he's such a kind soul. So I never saw him being a police officer, like, now that I know him. I just feel like he would be so kind to, like, the worst murderer. You know, taking care kind of of you know, the horrible person that he has to arrest or something. And it's probably he was shaped by these experiences as a kid. I mean, to have a cop shot in your neighborhood at that time was a big deal, especially if one was murdered in your neighborhood. Officer Sion is not even the only police officer that has a you know connection to Pete Kane, who is shot and killed. Decades later, when, when Pete was working as a photographer for NBC, he made friends with another officer, uh, Officer Chuck Cassidy. Yeah, um, it happened Halloween of 2007. Um, Chuck Cassidy actually died the next day. You just get to know these guys kind of personally, um, just because you see them literally every single day or, you know, you're at a scene. And Chuck Cassidy worked in a high violence um, neighborhood. So obviously Pete would be out there shooting you know, different crime scenes around there or whatever. And you you just get to know these people. They see you all the time. You see them. You say hi. The ironic thing is that I live in Montgomery County right outside of Philly. And in the morning, I would come down Broad Street and that Dunkin' Donut with Chuck Cassie was shot. I would see him twice a week, you know, 8.30 in the morning. And he and I would chat. Big teddy bear. The Halloween morning, I had to, it's a school, the deaf school in uh, Winfield. Every Halloween, I covered their Halloween parade. And that morning, that was my first assignment. My second assignment was to do the plaque dedication for the officers that were that were shot and killed off of Lime Kiln Pike up in my neighborhood. So that happened at 11 o'clock. So they sent me to shoot this um, Halloween parade. And then I was going to go back up to, the, to do the plaque dedication. I get a phone call a little after 10. A buddy of mine, a police officer from the 35th, he calls it Pete. Chuck just got shot. I said, what are you talking about? Chuck Cassidy just got shot. He said, you got to be kidding me. As I'm coming across City Avenue at 54th Street, all I can hear is sirens in, you know, in the back. And these are 19, 16 district cops flying across city, heading to this triple police assist, which, you know, one of the worst that you could have. Right. So as I blocked 54th Street, uh, one of the officers come and he blew his horn for me to keep going. I guess he assumed he knew where I was going. So he just like, I'm blocking traffic so they don't get hit. And he just hit a siren tell me, so here I am flying at City Avenue with a half dozen police cars, like, around me to go on, you know. And they were, every cop in the city was heading up to find a shooter. And I get up to the scene up there, and it was like, you know, I lost a friend. You know, we found that he was, you know, hurt pretty bad. I, I worked from the time he was shot to that weekend. And every time I would get phone calls from cop friends of mine. And I go there because, to me, it was personal. And that would be the same thing if, you know, it was a cousin or a friend. I mean, that's what it's like. And also being out on the street itself is pretty traumatic. Like, it doesn't, I guess for, it doesn't, I don't know. I think, I don't think people understand the, um, the impact it can have on you. Like how, you know, hearing the wailing mothers of a dead child or, um, you know, when somebody gets on scene and finds out their loved one and they you know, fall down and collapse. Like there's a lot that happens on a scene or at a scene that is like 
just very traumatic and probably the most traumatic thing that he has been through. I think any of the reporters in Philadelphia this time have been through was move the move bombing. I mean, there are times I have nightmares and I think, you know, about things that have um, happened. Uh, the one thing is May 13th, which is the anniversary of move. And that's my biggest nightmare, you know, um, because I went through 12,000, 10,000 rounds of bullets that day on Osage Avenue, and I still hear the gunshots. I still hear the police yelling and screaming. They're coming out the back. This is when the MOVE members were supposedly exiting the house after the bomb was dropped. It was like a war. It was a war. And the ironic thing is I was going to the police department two years earlier, you know, but I figured me coming out of that community, becoming part of that police force, that I can be able to let these young black males that I knew or saw, look, this is a career. <laughs> one of the things that as I would just taught these kids in the schools, one thing they would always say to me is, I don't want to be a police officer. I'm, I'm going to get shot. I just think about what you just said. How many police officers are shot every year? One or two? How many young black males are shot and killed? Three, four, five hundred? So what are your choices of surviving? And they're thinking, well, I didn't think about that. Yeah, you know, he, he went from wanting to become a police officer and, and prevent crime and help solve cases. And now, I mean, he says that what he does in the media, what he does as a, a photographer, as a cameraman, as a journalist, he's also he also gets to be a part of helping to solve cases. You know, um, I mean, right now, I mean, as what I do now, I get a lot of respect on the street because when we first went out the street of camera people, I mean, you know, they would move me a block away from a scene and you got the people walking up to the, you know how that's like. And so nowadays it's different because they find that we're not your enemy. You know, we're here to tell a story, to do a job like you are, you know. Um, and that's, you know, um, I can't change because that's not the way I was raised. Uh, I cannot be part of something that's not right because it comes back on you. And that's, you know, that's just the way I am. You know, I hurt like everyone else hurts when I go do a story, when I go back home and I think about it, you know. Um, but I just I just enjoy what I do. Well, and it's yeah. so important because on the flip side, how many times are you at press conferences and they say because of the media we were able yeah, to apprehend yeah. this person or somebody else called, we got tips in, whatever. I mean, and you're also a part of that. Right. And you feel good when you find, when you see that video that you that's on TV and um, – or you interview someone on radio who gives you a description of what that person had on army sneakers. So how many people walk around army sneakers on? Once you put that out there, someone, oh, I saw so-and-so. He went in that store earlier, and they pulled that video. Of, Here you are, the guy with the army sneakers on. So the media is a part of, you know, they're finally realizing it. Where before, we couldn't get anything, you know. But now they realize that, you know, you, you, know, you need the media to be able to do those things, you know, to apprehend these criminals. All right, so one last Pete Kane story, and this is probably the most incredible story that he told us all day, and it starts when Pete sees this guy on a bridge. One night, it was just—it was a week of Thanksgiving several years ago, and I'm going across the City Avenue Bridge. I see this guy standing on the, the rail of the bridge over top of the Schuylkill River. I'm an unmarked news car. I've always had an unmarked car until like 10 years ago. I have a live van. But I'm driving over, and I see this guy standing on the rail, and, like, the river is here, going towards the um, Lincoln Drive. He's standing there with a belt around his waist around a light pole. So I pull about maybe uh, 50 feet past him. So I walk back and said, what's going on, man? He said, uh, 
I was in the shelter. They kicked me out because they said I stole a pair of sneakers. He was a recovering addict. So I said, man, I said, look, don't do anything, man. I said, just stay right here. So I go to my car, and I call the assignment. I said, call Philly Law and Marion Police. This guy's threatening to commit suicide. So what I did was I took my camera, and I laid it on the ground behind my trunk, and I had it rolling, and it's facing him on the bridge. And I took the wireless microphone. I stuck it down in my belt. So I walked back to him, and I'm talking to him, and I said, look, man, I said, look, you know, whatever you're thinking about doing, don't do it. And so we started talking about family, and I said, look, you know, my mom died a couple years ago. I said, I'm, I'm, I miss her on Thanksgiving. Don't do this to your family. I spent an hour and a half talking to this guy. Even when the police came up, they said, look, you got a good rapport with him. Just keep talking to him. This guy, I ended up talking this guy down off the bridge. I gave him a hug, and they took him um to uh, whatever, met one of the mental places or whatever. And the next day, uh, one of the, they did a story with me. We went over to the bridge with the producer, Gary Herman. We went over to the bridge, and we, you know, I had to shoot my own story. We didn't have a camera guy to shoot this story. So I ended up having to shoot my own interview with me and, uh, and use a B-roll from the night before. That was one of my most, that was one of my, one of my uh, best stories to be able to help save this guy, and that's what I tell people. I put my camera. And tell down. other people how to help save somebody. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I think for Pete, it's like there's all this darkness in the world and all this horribleness and you know devastation, and he tries to lighten it up with like joy and peace and positivity, and um, you know by giving back and doing good things, and and he spends a ton of time with like his grandchildren, and that you know that brings so much joy to him but he would be so bashful right now if he was right here with us talking about him like this he'd be like oh shucks you know yeah but then he'd go into a story about something else <laughs> and we'd just listen yeah so what's what's next for pete kane i mean for i what i hope i mean i hope he gets to retire like so he can enjoy his life and not be working like he's been working since he was what 14 so he can write his book so he can write his book Do you mind if i if i'm the one who um uh if i'm the run, one who writes your book yeah, i need someone but i've been trying for years i'm Seriously. serious we started doing it a couple years ago my brother's keeper uh tom Cranz, he just wrote a couple books up in new york and uh, he gave me okay but we we got about 40 pages done but uh, I, that's that's my life dream. Wow. That, that's my dream to be able to get if it he, done. If he you know? pulls out, I'm in it. All right. <laughs> NBC is incredibly lucky to have him. Incredibly lucky. Yeah. They made a real smart decision the day they hired him. Yeah. Talking to Pete for me was like getting a, a history course, but I didn't have to pay tuition for once. <laughs> and I, I'm so glad that Pete agreed to do this episode with us. And, uh, I don't know, I thought it was worth doing a little bit extra on Pete Kane. And I hope everyone else did, too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Kristen and I hope you enjoyed that. Pete is the man, and we're grateful for his help on Episode 7. I know we said this a couple times when we were talking about Pete, but he really is the nicest guy. Thank you, Pete, and big thanks to NBC10 as well. There's more coming out soon on the next episode's all the latest news on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Thank you again to Charlotte Reese for producing the episode at CReese28 on Twitter. I'm Tom Ricker, and we'll talk to you soon. Tom. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.